1: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
2: Warden's Watch Podcast is now on Patreon, combining the Thin Green Line Podcast and the Warden's Watch Podcast on Patreon to bring member-exclusive extra content, both video, audio, and with product deals as well. Become a member to support our podcast and get something extra. Search Warden's Watch Podcast on Patreon.
3: Welcome to another episode of the Thin Green Line Podcast. I am very honored to have my good friend and world-renowned taxidermist and wildlife artist, John Hayes, with us today from Hayes Taxidermy Studio. And... Uh, Wayne, before we do any further introductions with John, this is kind of crazy because <laughs> we're doing a, a semi-live broadcast. I'm sitting in John Hay's shop in our hometown, a little Libby, Montana. We're in the smallest county and the smallest populated state talking to you all the way over at the Great American Outdoor Show. You're not in your studio and you're out there networking with Pennsylvania and all the other good agencies. And uh, what, an, what an amazing morning, man.
2: Yeah, no, it's it's been. I always use the word epic way too much, but it has been epic. And uh, thank you for the Pennsylvania, yeah, the Fish and Boat Committee uh, Commission. And uh, the Game Commission have been uh, great hosts. Uh, It's been awesome. And, you know, a lot of those guys are listeners, and uh, they're they're liking our show, and they're liking what we're doing. So I think it's really important. And I've been able to can some podcasts as well as do a lot of public outreach. Uh, The Great American Outdoor Show is run by the NRA, and they do an outstanding job, I will tell you. Um, Amy Hunt, I was uh, speaking with her, the media relationships for the NRA this early this week. And just, uh, they were very happy with the people want to get out now COVID, you know, the people are trying to get out and the great american outdoor show has been a reflection of that Uh, they didn't know what to expect uh, and they're extremely happy with what's going on here the sportsmen are extremely happy we're engaged almost to the point that sometimes it's too much uh, but it's been great a lot of podcast listeners out there i've even had people that show up that are fans of the show which is it's been unusual uh, because we haven't been out there and now they're like they're excited to see the podcast and you know meet us and so it's, it's it's gaining so i think it's a great opportunity for all of us to to get out there. And uh, yeah, I'm a little jealous of you. I mean, I, there's some serious taxidermy here, but you know, (laughs) it looks like you guys have the beginning of the serious taxidermy there.
3: (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, uh, we're going to get to that in a second, but to follow up on what you said, this is the first time since this worldwide mess pandemic has shut Mm. us down from being face to face at trade shows and to see you out at one of the biggest East coast trade shows. And just coming back from SCI Safari club international and shot show in Las Vegas, that fell on the same week. Um, overwhelming but absolutely necessary and uh and incredible. Um we just do so much better work more face to face. And oh, that no conservation doubt. thin green line community has been lacking, doing all this remote stuff. And this is the first time I've done a podcast for Thin Green Line or Warden's Watch, um, other than doing one in person with you way back when we met in California, mm-hmm. um, where I'm side to side, you know, shoulder to shoulder <laughs> with a good friend and a, a guest today and and you're out there. Um yeah. but yeah. And you got to start with John's introduction to get a little more thorough. Now, yeah. we have been working together since 2005. Um, I met John Hayes when I came to then Dumont Hayes Taxidermy to get that first big trophy white tail that I told you and Jay, our <laughs> podcast producer for Big Buck Registry, that whole story. That was my first Big Buck that I wanted mounted correctly. And that's when I just stumbled on this great group. And uh, started a friendship that goes way back to 05. Yeah. So it's been a spell. But Mm. outside of being a cool taxidermist and world renowned, which we're going to get into, John is a lifelong conservationist. He comes Mm. from generations of hunting and angling and just appreciation of wildlife and takes his taxidermy to a wildlife art level. To really educate on conservation messages of how important wildlife are, not just hanging a trophy on the wall. This is art. These are not bragging trophies. These are conservation memories. Mm -hmm. And uh, John, thanks so much for being on our show, man. It's it's great to be face to face. (laughs) It's great. Wayne's been wanting to meet you and um, we'll dive into some good stuff today.
2: Man, I love the hats and the, and the backdrop. Man, if, if, if you guys can't see this, join Patreon, because I will tell you, <laughs> I have never seen so many racks in all my life. Uh, yeah, that, that's amazing. And thanks for joining us.
0: Well, I appreciate the opportunity very much. Mm. Uh,
3: and we got to start, John, with, let's go back to how it all started for you. Obviously, we're in Libby, Montana. It is a very mountainous, very rugged, probably the most rugged part of Montana, Um, getting the terrain and the timber and you know we have the cabinet mountains the yak wilderness glacier park and and just amazing amazing wildlife and wildland country but rugby and you've grown up working in it when did you get introduced how early did it start for you with your family and what were your first conservation memories oh from the time my parents
0: could carry me day (laughs) day one that my dad used to pack me around all over the place i've been going out since they had me (laughs) so forever
3: (laughs) and what when you started uh you know just kind of the journey of hunting what was the take us back to like that first harvest whether it was like a ground squirrel you were learning to shoot um when you started harvesting game for you know actual food the most memorable harvest my early most
0: memorable harvest was 1987 on thanksgiving day (laughs) it was my first year to hunt big game with my dad and uh, we went up in the cabinet Mountain Wilderness and I shot what is still my biggest white buck a white-tailed doe and my first bull elk in about 3 hours <laughs> oh um, man the most memorable part of it was that the fun stopped right about the time the elk died and we were about 4 miles from the truck oh so but my dad was a trooper he actually let me harvest a white doe 4 miles from a truck my hands i still i'm like wow dad that was big
2: (laughs) wow
3: yeah so wayne on that one um
2: no easy hunts no no (laughs) sometimes it's the drag you remember (laughs) right and
3: i know wayne you and i have remembered those experiences because nine times out of ten and i've told john this story many times over the years we're not those lucky guys that just are oh, walking in on the no, two track.
2: No, behind
3: the gate and 100 yards, here comes a 180 class white tail buck. And we have those stories, oh, yeah,
2: I hear them every year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we
3: see the bucks coming into John's shop every year, these monsters of guys. So I was just driving in position and then he was chasing <laughs> the doe in the you know in the snow. And I'm like, yeah, I was up that canyon about nine miles further,
0: <laughs> uh, I never saw anything. Freezing my butt off. Yeah. <laughs> Mm. that's the biggest deer we got in this year the only Boone and crockett whitetail we got the guy pulled up to the gate and stepped out of the truck and it was just standing there <laughs> wow yeah i've heard <laughs> a lot I'm of those stories in this show as well
3: <laughs> yeah well I'll, I'll say you know hands off to the lucky ones because someday maybe we'll be as lucky
2: i hope mm, i but. hope time's on our side at least <laughs> Yeah, no no, no doubt. So, mine mine was a mile drag this year, and the hide was gone off it when I got there. So, <laughs> yes, that, of course, it wasn't all downhill.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I
2: heard your stories and saw the pictures
3: you and Jay sent, man, oh, from, uh, yeah. from the tree stand action. And yeah. you were doing a little work, too. You're, We're all in that same boat. Yeah. So I think we can share, you know, the, the real appreciation for what it takes to actually get an animal, not only down, but... Get it back. Get it back. Mm. we killing ourselves, yeah. you know? <laughs> um, but, John, so... That's when you started hunting, but you didn't go into taxidermy right away at a high school. You were I did in high school. You did in high school. Yep, my
0: uh, first uh, opportunity. I was uh, I got my driver's license, and then I pestered a guy until he finally was just like, "You're not going to leave, are you?" So he started letting me sweep the floor. Nice. <laughs> then I worked into skinning and fleshing and turning and salt and hides, and then prepping forms and stuff. Great story. And that would have been uh, 1992.
3: 92. Oh. So, what made you decide? you wanted to get into wildlife processing and eventually taxidermy and, and start that?
0: My dad always had a lot of taxidermy work done. Okay. And uh, I think I was I was probably about eight or nine years old and my dad took me over to meet the, one of the local taxidermists to pick up a dairy
3: and harvest it. Gotcha.
0: And that was my first introduction to going into a shop and it just blew my mind. <laughs> it just absolutely blew my mind. I was like, oh my God, dad, I'm going to be a taxidermist when I grow up. And he was like, mm-hmm. sure, that's good. good. <laughs> and that, I got away from it a couple times and then but it's just, that's its definitely what I'm supposed to be doing.
3: Yeah. its That's pretty awesome, Wayne, when you get that, you know, you know what you want to do so early. And we talk about this on other, yes. other uh, with other guests of you always do best and you're always most successful at a career that you're really passionate about. Yes. And so many of us, and we've talked about this in other podcasts, like I just mentioned, John, that um, Wayne and I have dealt with a lot is we don't always find our passion to make a living i mean so many people unfortunately don't get to do that right they might have really successful careers make plenty of money but are they really inspired inside where it's not really a chore to go to work it's it's part of the joy opportunity and man it it shows in your work and wayne and i were both blessed you know to to find game warden's careers and go that direction um i almost went the wrong direction you know that story wayne knows Mm -hmm. that story Uh, Most of our listeners know that story, but uh, you did not get distracted, man. That's what's cool. You found briefly. Yeah. It was just
0: a couple, couple little strayaways, but yeah, it just, it was just once I got into it a little bit, I just never could quite get away from it. Even when I wasn't actively in the studio, I was still farting around with stuff on my own time. And then it was just like, I had to go back.
3: Then you knew, what were you doing on the side? Like dabbling. Logging. logging. Yeah. remember you talked about logging. Go
0: make my fortune helicopter logging. uh, (laughs) Yeah.
2: Didn't yeah. pan out. <laughs> <laughs> did some yard logging, uh, worked at a mill a little bit. Now, that'll send you to taxidermy. <laughs> that'll <laughs> right? straighten you right out. I'm going back to skinning. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a lot safer. Yeah. <laughs> a lot more enjoyable. Yeah. No, Definitely. No doubt.
0: Definitely. And
3: the uh, Wayne, something uh, John and I have talked about in the past that I think our listeners and viewers need to understand is taxidermy is not an easy job and it's not and in order to be successful at it and in order to have clients especially when you're from a small little town because mm-hmm. we're we're in a tiny town of 27 2800 people give or take in the smallest county in the smallest populated state right here you know in the union up here in montana so how do you be successful and you know feed your family and make a living at what you love Um, and network with quite a few taxidermists in the area. If you at one state like this, and just like where you're at, Wayne, I mean there's mm -hmm. a lot of taxidermists in these rural mountainous states for for wildlife art. So when I first started there was fourteen of them here. Jeez. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, like fourteen different shops.
0: Mm -hmm. So it was saturated, which you're only as good as your competition when you first start to learn anything. And if you're the only guy around, you don't actually get the opportunity to look at somebody else's stuff and be like, ah, I really need to adjust or rethink or go, go get further education on stuff. Um, we have some world-class world champion, literally best in world taxidermists that have been here. here. So anytime you thought you were really knocking it out of the park, you just had to drive about two miles away and go look at their stuff and Mm. go back to work, (laughs) you know, go back and be like, ah, okay. Okay, nice. I I can see see what I'm not doing now. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's humbling, quick, very quick. Yeah, very quick. Yeah, and inspiring. Yeah, mm. at least for me it was. You sets, know, instead of the being bar.
2: totally defeated by it, it was like sets there's the a bar. lot of room for growth. Yeah. yeah, just when you think you're good, you go see somebody better. Yep. Yeah, and
0: and then you either
2: get with it or you quit. And I always wanted to just I wanted to get to that level. But yeah. but then eventually, John, you get there and. There's nobody better. Or, yep. Have we hit that point yet? No. Okay.
0: <laughs> I personally don't know if I will ever get to that point. Where I where I think, yep, I'm the best. I just don't mm-hmm. I don't I don't think I can have that in me. There's always something that you didn't quite hit 100% and that's the only thing I ever really see when yeah. I'm done with a project is like ah.
2: Do, do you like to throw the detail in it like uh, uh, you know two bucks fighting the little sweat dripping off them or it just uh, every now and then I the see The more it. details the better. Yeah and that's what attracts me because I really study some of the text that's good and then I start seeing the details that they put in and that's when I start calling it an artist because they put their time and the effort they, they put the, the look in the eye they, they, they did mm-hmm. everything and like I said there's even you know I saw one with icicles on it the other day a deer mount yeah. with ice on it and guess what their antlers ice up when it's icy uh, yep. it, it was I was like oh I love that because it was different it, it just spoke of our experiences in the wild and, and, and a buck out there on an icy day when you're there uh, when you shoot him, his antlers have, have ice on it so it's a recapturing the, the memory of the hunt mm. is
0: what I've always liked not necessarily how big it is you know size is Okay. great if you shoot a boon and crock at one hey great most people don't ever right. in an entire career of hunting you don't right shoot the seven foot black bear in the 400 inch elk you know mm-hmm. you, if you're lucky you get some success no matter what that looks like at the end of the day it doesn't really matter as long as when you look at the mount it reminds you of the experience the time you spent with family and friends you know that that's always been the part that i like most
3: mm-hmm.
0: and there's no difference in how big the antlers are on the details you can do on the mount. You know, yeah, you could do a just out of the park mount on a, on a hundred inch white tail and do a crappy one on a 200 inch white tail. Yeah. It's not so much the antlers that, but
2: yeah, I yeah. appreciate
0: them, but it's not definitely not the uh, driving factor for me to do a good job on something.
2: Have you ever done a mount that tugs on your heart? And I got an example yesterday. I met a kid that did a hunt of a lifetime. And I was almost in tears talking to him and his father showing me, it, and he's he's a survivor. So he had leukemia and survived it. And and to listen to that and see that animal, I, I swear, almost brought me to tears. Have you ever done a, a piece of taxidermy that you know really affected you by the story?
0: Um, you know, we've done so many mounts over the years for so many different reasons. Um, I I did a bear for a young guy actually he was a friend that he actually lives right up by us here Uh, Mm -hmm. his grandson got diagnosed with cancer and uh unbelievably fit specimen of a young kid i think he was 17 when he got diagnosed Mm. and he was all state wrestler um football player just a star athlete one of the nicest young guys i'd ever met and uh he came in the shop with his grandfather and uh, he was going bear hunting when he just wasn't feeling good that weekend. Um, they went out and they got a bear, and uh, then his grandfather got a hold of me the next week and said that he got diagnosed with cancer, like really advanced, and they ended up having to uh, remove his leg about two weeks after that. And then it was he had a very short time, so we were able to uh, get the mount completed and back and presented to him before he passed away. That's one thing.
2: Wow. Yeah, that, that's, that's one that targets at your heart. Absolutely.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, that
3: uh, one hits home deeply. And um, one of the things, you know, when we talk about this, because you and I as game words, how many taxidermists have we dealt with through our careers collectively? I mean, you know, probably 60 years of right. taxidermy inspections <laughs> and seeing, you know, uh, really a lot of good ones like John that are yeah. in it for all the right reasons. But we had a lot of outlaws, too, mm-hmm. that we dealt with. Um, and the difference between it, and I talk about this from, from conservation overall, mm-hmm. is John shares that heart for giving back to the community and creating those good moments in a lifetime situation like you're part of. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all that matters you know. to us is what that young man or young woman or adult, you know, are really going to get out of those final days and those final memories um, that are, you know, probably a top 10 memory. And I, you know, put myself in the shoes of anybody suffering like that. And what would you want to do on your way out? And it would be what we all love, right? Mm. It's wildlife conservation and being around wildlife and, you know, remembering those memories when we look at that beautiful mount on the wall and go, I remember how cold I was where i was sitting how excited i got how hard or in some cases for the lucky guys how easy (laughs) Easy. the drag was that day yeah um and and that makes all the difference in the world and um that's one of the reasons when john and i got to know each other in 05 um the friendship developed well outside of the work we were doing and you know i don't just say this because he does exceptional work but I, in business like you, Wayne, um, as game wardens and now in branding, being retired game wardens, we only want to work with people that really share our ethos, our ideals, our ethics, and our beliefs. And that's where this friendship built. And that's why he does all of my taxidermy exclusively. Um, I don't go anywhere else for anything because I know that if there's a situation where I need a help, um, I need an assistance from a really good artist to help save a life or inspire or whatever. John's my go-to guy. And there's, we have other good taxidermists yes. that we all know, yes. but um, you know, you guys are, you know, kind of rare to, to be honest in <laughs> the experiences. And, and that's not a diss on any good mm-hmm. taxidermist, but it is an art it's a passion. It's a lifetime thing. Um, and this transcends down to your family. You have a really cool wife that we know, a great <laughs> daughter that's coming up as a conservationist, <laughs> finishing yeah. up high school. She's doing all kinds of cool stuff. And, Talk to us because we always like to see how this transcends generationally, especially in a country that right now is so divided. There's so much polarization, there's so much urbanization. And, you know, last night on, uh, you know, Fox News and then on Instagram media this morning, I'm seeing Senate floor hearings of actual, you know, some of our politicians saying and justifying why we need to stop eating meat and why we need to yes. stop hunting and going to soy based protein for the new generation right. uh, you know it's like a bad episode in 1984 and you know <laughs> <laughs> this is what you're going to eat but you're passive paying it forward Wayne and I are paying it forward and through COVID we saw suddenly non hunters non-gun owners realizing that with no supply chain and no first responder response and the country kind of in turmoil, we might have to fend for ourselves. And we saw a huge increase, huge increase. in the number of hunter education certifications mm-hmm. online, like 30 to 40% last year, March and April, during peak COVID years. So you're paying it forward. And not only because you come from a conservation type community, but to your daughter, and obviously to nieces, cousins, nephews. Tell us about that and tell us how early and what you instilled uh, in Morgan and why
0: the earliest memory I have of taking Morgan out was she was about five days old and my (laughs) wife wanted to hike into Lee Lake. Oh yeah. And that was like first, first outing with the baby first, you know, first week of being a parent. And I was just absolutely appalled that my wife wanted to take her into the wilderness. (laughs) So Morgan, we went in there, everything was great. We have some pictures of it to remind me of that whole experience now. Um, but it's, it's been like that since day five. Wow. taking her crickfish and i remember having her swaddled to the front of me trying to crick fish and not drop her in the crick. so there was <laughs> that whole learning <laughs> curve of how to continue on doing the things that we enjoyed doing and yeah. then bringing her into it early enough that so cool didn't want to wait till she was 15 and then never be like this sucks yeah really she, she, like le- this she learned that it the suck fun like steve says there's there's some suck fun yeah but that makes the big memories like yeah. uh i think she was 10 years old when she hiked into the chinese wall in the bomb marshall wow that was about 80 miles round trip and she hoofed it the whole way just a little i was blown away that somebody that was only three and a half feet tall could walk yeah. that
3: far. Yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: six days of hiking and yeah no she she's yeah. hunting elk and deer and bears and birds varmints. Goes with me all the time.
3: Yeah, she's she's amazing. It, it's just so cool to see that it started so early and she got it. She got mm-hmm. kind of a, a tough exterior. Not to be afraid of the elements yep. and to embrace, you know, take it seriously. Always respect mother nature because she's kind of cruel sometimes. <laughs> yes. And, you know, don't be scared, but don't be disrespectful. And at the same time, embrace those moments. And it's just, it's really cool to see, um, kids throughout the country doing that. Yes. Like, like Morgan's doing. And Wayne, I know, you know, with, with your son and all the cool stuff you're doing and, uh, my nieces, nephews and everybody on my side, you know, in the world. Um, yeah, it's just so, so awesome to pay it forward to the yes. next generation yeah. yeah it really is it's it cool is. to see her doing that it's, yeah. it's
0: just the greatest thing ever is to see them out having success no matter yeah. what it is whether they're catching a three inch long crickfish or shooting an elk or whatever just seeing them yeah. out there and the confidence that they develop yeah. from being able to do it even you're, you're helping at the end of the day they're still the one that pulled that all together to actually be successful and that it's been a really good boost of confidence for her in her life i think so
3: cool yeah, yeah she's even got her own little hunting page mm-hmm. account yeah on instagram <laughs> right. yeah she, she that's, her, that's yeah, awesome like her that's awesome love uh, to get uh, andrew to do that stuff, yeah so. teenage yeah. <laughs> Is
2: my yeah, really exactly, awesome. <laughs> Andrew's epic cool. uh, statement to me was dad every time we go out, it's an adventure, and that's the time we almost drowned. So, um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. always on the edge. He just he just loves uh, that that adventure going out in the the woods and stuff. And I actually wanted to get to this piece, so we, we actually went across in the morning this this brook that's pretty pretty good with waders on. Um, stripped them off and then hunted you know an area that not a whole lot of people get to. And on the way back that that brook uh, got. Actually, came up quite a bit, and uh, yeah, so we were right on the edge of. uh Yeah, he he didn't go across with uh, polls I did the morning, and uh, I went across and I handed my poles back because it was. Uh, and that was his statement after that. He's like, "Dad, every time we do something, it's an adventure." And I was like,
3: "Yeah, don't <laughs> and, tell, and, don't tell and, your mother about brother, it." <laughs> you're just being like the proudest dad ever, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean that's gotta just rip your heart apart in a great yeah. way. And you yeah. know, I just want to. Hey, I want to time stand still right now. Yes. Stop the clock. I want to mm-hmm. just be in that moment, man. That that keeps us going. It does. It really does. Yeah. yeah. Know. Um, it's kind of cool, you know, from my standpoint of, of seeing this and all the outreach and I think definitely know that one of the most enjoyable things Wayne and I have done, John, in our careers is hunter education to the next generation. And we still participate in that now being retired on some level. And I'm uh, kind of working and mentoring a young man back in the Silicon Valley when I'm back in California doing business. And one of the, he's 17 had never shot a firearm until a couple months ago. Um, had never really done anything hard, you know, quote unquote, outdoor adventure But one of the kindest, humblest, honest, and selfless young men I've seen, you know, around in a long time. That's kind of become close to us and mm-hmm. befriended. And um, to see the joy on his face... When he started using that 17 HMR, man, right. he was cutting one ragged hole with the bench <laughs> yeah. gun and shooting the Glock, and, sh- and he shot great. I mean, he is one of these like, Wayne, this young man is an absolute dead eye. <laughs> and he's already signed up to go into basic training to go into Army Special Forces. And he's very interested in going into the sniper world. Well, that near and dear to me, given our history, you right. that sniper and you're a long range shooter <laughs> as well. And, you know, Wayne knows that background. And it was, uh, I'm like, oh man. MOS sniper observer, absolutely. I'm going <laughs> to help you get there. You're going to serve our country, but um, and that was somebody who's 17 years old and has not been in the woods or busted a cap yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so it it's everything from you know Morgan when she's five days old hiking into Wee Lake, and by the way, that's not a short hike. I'm just going to say that right now for a five day. <laughs> yeah, I think baby you
2: said 80 miles, and I was like, wow, oh yeah, <laughs> nature man. It was um,
0: harder on me than her. I'm pretty sure at that. <laughs> yeah, <I'm pretty> sure. <laughs> i'm pretty sure (laughs) yeah going along yeah yeah
3: but back to you know just that whole thing is it it just means so much and and guys we have to we have to do as much as we can for the next generation whether they're our own or people that actually show that interest or i just feel like we're going to lose so much of what's important in this country Mm.
0: i don't think it's anything that you have to be born into correct I I've I've seen a lot of guys that came into it very late in life and honestly some of them are more dedicated than I am to the sport
3: yeah Mm. Yeah, they just so much of an appreciation for it. Yep. You know, they haven't been yep. desensitized to it and, right. and and gotten kind of picky on where they're gonna go. Like right. honestly, I think I, I share this a little bit with all three of us. We do so much outdoor time and we have our little hidden honey holes. Mm-hmm. And if the conditions aren't just right, right you are like, eh, I don't know. Too, you know, <laughs> the, the ice is too thick or it's kind of too hot and it's not gonna be a very good day. Like, I'm going elsewhere. I'm I'm yeah. gonna wait a day. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. No, like you know, <sighs> young Alex is just that way. He's like, hey man, rain, shine. I'll put on a raincoat let's let's get snow. I want to shoot do gun it and I want to learn.
0: Right. That's if I don't choice. go, I stand no chance. But if I go, <laughs>
2: <laughs> there might be a chance, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. 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 And I think we all have those excuses whether it's rainy, shiny, whatever you want to do. It's it's, you know, it's just get out there no matter what.
3: Mhm. Yeah. No doubt. So, John, let's talk a little bit about the business from the standpoint of the, what you've developed into um starting off working with Dennis Dumont a mutual mm-hmm. friend of ours when I met you in 2005 for that first buck and I think in 07 um you were you were still yep with still Dennis. Dennis. but then when Dennis retired he believed in you so much that he kind of handed the rings to you yep to use the name for the business yep and take and kind of said like, like sort of a friendly challenge T- take it to the, the next, next level. level. Yep, And I can attest to, you've certainly taken it to the next level. <laughs> Dennis is super proud. I'm super proud of you as your friend and a client <laughs> as well. Um, but talk about, you know, kind of the progression of how you got to the level you are right now. And I'll, I'll interject a few things there, but we talk about attention to detail, Wayne, that you mentioned and getting the detail in the face to have so much realism and not just punch out another high dollar amount and keep the assembly line going right for the business profit. Um, what steps did you take um to kind of get to where we're at now and i know that's a long journey because i've known you through that <laughs> your journey, but, right. and it's it nobody deserves it more than as hard as you've worked and, and the, uh, there's a long journey behind him
2: every time i let see one of those antlers i'm thinking boy that that's, that's another mount he's gonna do and wow yeah just to turn around yeah, like just, oh, what, what's the number there john i mean i'm looking how many antlers more. are behind us <laughs> yeah so, that, i
0: don't that's just a little bit of it right that's now just a little that's, bit of then, it
2: oh my goodness it's unbelievable. We ended up
0: with hundred and
2: eight black bears this
0: year. I know that. Oh <laughs> because man, it'll that's be epic! Oh. A year in April that'd put us at a one-year time. We got hundred and eight black bears.
2: Black, yeah. just black just black bears,
0: bears. yeah. Man. Um, and, and like as far as deserving it, there's a lot of really good guys out yeah. there. Some of us just been luckier than others, uh, making the the right contact at the right time. Um, right. Dennis did leave me set up for success and he was very supportive and he did believe in me very much. Um, he always used to call me the artiste because he was like, man, you will spend all day just messing around with one little thing. And it's yeah, just, like just playing with a lip or something just driving that. Yeah. Um, and then I took over and uh, I just stayed more focused on developing the skill versus just trying to pump out a bunch of mounts for the money. I definitely didn't make much money for the first decade um just put everything back into better equipment better tooling uh getting lessons uh, hiring different guys to learn better skill sets from them um got the opportunity to uh start doing the deer tour that was one of our our early big breaks um that's the
3: eastman's deer tour yeah doing all of the mounts for eastman brothers and and uh Their their truck tour. Yep, it was a truck tour that travels the
0: country of all the giant mule deer, the greatest deer of the west, I believe is what it's labeled. Mm -hmm. Um, so we got an opportunity to get involved in that. And then through going to a couple of the shows, I met a couple other people. And then I was I got a chance to uh do a bear for a client that was hunting up in Canada. Mm -hmm. And I met the outfitter up there and we hit it off really well. And he introduced me to Clay Newcomb, Mm -hmm. who owned Bear Hunting Magazine. And then, who was also a
3: meteor staffer
0: with, who uh, became our mutual buddy, yep, Steven now. became a yeah. yep, became hooked up with Steve this last year, and I was the featured artist in Bear hunting magazine that I still am, and then Eastman's bow hunting and Rifle I was in there for the deer tour, and uh then I met Adam Weatherby through the deer tour, and who Adam now mm-hmm. is with Steve and those guys. And I was doing work for uh, Schnee's Boot Company out of Bozeman. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, we'll be picking up a display mount for those guys about two weeks, big nice. Yukon moose they harvested. And uh, it just all came together. Just honestly, I would say there was a lot of luck involved in that, that everything led back up to where it is right now. But a lot of it was just because we stayed focused on trying to make a better product. And there's there's a lot of guys out there that do work as good and better than I do. There's no no i'm under no illusion of that <laughs> but just staying focused on what i'm doing instead of worrying about what everybody else is doing or how much money they're making or charging just staying focused on what we needed to do to survive at the time to continue our skill set and i was very lucky like i said i've had a couple of really good influences in my career um i had a a guy come into my studio about oh scott came in here probably about seven years ago and i was. I was doing some nice whitetail work at the time um and scott's a, a national champion for whitetail so renowned, yeah. when i got the opportunity to have scott come out i was like oh this would be great maybe he can give me a pointer or two on my <laughs> on my white tails so i i did my absolute best whitetail. it was a perfect cape it was a beautiful probably a 155 class whitetail just a gorgeous deer and i just killed it i thought it was just perfect and so I invite Scott out to come critique my work. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was great. And anybody that knows Scott would totally understand this story. And so I have Scott come out to my studio after hours to look at this deer mount I did. And you walk to the front door and it's on a mounting stand, probably, it's probably about 25 feet away from the front door. And Scott comes through the door and I was entering, hey, thanks for coming out, Scott. Really appreciate it. And I was, I was like, there it is. And he's like, That one right there on the stand, I was like, "Yeah," and he's like,
3: "That sucks." (laughs) (laughs) uh, I was like,
1: "Oh man!" I was like,
0: "Really?" I was like, "Do you need to get any closer to it?" And he's like, "To tell that it sucks." No, I can tell that from here. (laughs) And he's a certified judge. I mean, he's one of the most recognized judges in the country. And I was like, "Oh man, wow! Could could you possibly be more specific?" I mean just flat out. He's like, are you going to be like, well, I like doing it that way or I like it like that. And I was like, no, I like, I I really want to know. I'd I'd love to know. So then we worked together for about a year and that's where I was able to really step up a lot of the finish work, uh, Mm -hmm. hair patterns. I didn't know about a lot of the hair patterns where they naturally occur on the animal that you have to put back on the Mount. Because you comb it all the wrong direction and let it dry, and it'll just be stuck in the wrong spot forever. So a lot of the little fine details. It's uh, just great opportunity, priceless. It was well worth the uh, the gut check. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and then just o- other artists I've met over the years, you know, just that are outstanding. And like I said, the inspiration that comes from that. You want to be in that league. You don't want to think you're in that league and not actually be there. So that was yeah. that's that's been the focus for us forever since since we've been doing this it's just trying to find more information and refine it and refine it again and refine it again never get too attached to the way you do something because you might have to totally change it to get that next level amount out you want
3: yeah the difference between uh, being a little ego conscious uh-huh. and not having <laughs> a real thick skin and really having the yeah. humility to learn mm-hmm. and uh yeah, I've, uh, I've, I can attest to seeing John's work, Wayne, and, and for all of us, you know, all you guys listening out there, just the progression over the years. And it was really good work on that first buck you guys did for me, you know, five. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an amazing, amazing white tail, and everybody recognizes that when they see it on the wall. But the progression, and I'm, I'm going to go back to, you know, just sharing a, a story that was a real fun one for you. But, you know, when we started our Thin Green Line uh, film series for Requel TV, you did the first mount on my outad ram that long yep. shot and yep. that we filmed on the border and all that stuff so <laughs> it's kind of a special, special oh yeah animal. yeah and it was a really unique you know a desert sheep wayne that we had not been into i don't think had you mounted one yet no that was the so first out that out. was it was his first one that's awesome and you know um i was hunting with a really good outad taxidermist back there who had mounted like 11 or 12 of them life size and was part of the hunting group and i'm yeah. gonna throw out a shout to don travis uh, who's now a retired taxidermist out of, out of maine Wayne, not too far from you, and a really good friend. And he was, you know, he was willing to, you know, do the mount, of course, or have his shop do it. And I said, well, I, I'm i sponsored, you know, uh, John Hayes is a friend. He's also a sponsor mm-hmm. of the Fingering Line film series, which I'm going to say thank you and Absolutely. throw a shout out for <laughs> helping support the, the the outreach we're doing there. But Don wasn't offended at all. He said, no, I'll drive your, uh, your cape yep. and I'll drive your horns back. I'll get them dried out, processed, ready, send them to your taxidermist. But has he done much out dad i go you know i honestly don't know no. i'm gonna say probably not given where he's from <laughs> right. and the stuff i've seen in the <laughs> shop all these years and uh don said okay well do you mind if i just talk to him and throw him some tips and don's that real passionate oh he was great, he was great. Guy. Yeah. so these two get connected and they're going back and forth and john was a sponge and don was really mm-hmm. impressed with john he's retired he goes man you got a good guy out there and it is a magnificent amount. John added Habitat that I wasn't thinking of doing. And this is one way that was the longest shot I've ever had to take on an animal with an outfitter's gun because my gun wouldn't do it at 915 yards, mm-hmm. almost a thousand yards out and across the canyon and a shot I did not want to take, but the outfitter saying, Hey, I know you can do this. I know you're a sniper. I know you can shoot long range Had never shot this gun before, but trusted what these guys were saying. And they were spot on. They had the, tools we have the conditions and to bring that animal here to john and having have done a film over this thing was it was an ultra special mount Mm -hmm. and it could not get jacked up (laughs) and i knew i was in good hands (laughs) and he did an amazing job it was his first out at and i've had many people that have you know had those animals mounted really compliment on the work but it was a testament to the importance of it, the story we were telling as seen on a film that was going to say so much for public safety throughout the entire nation, not just conservation, border safety, everything else we talked about on the thin green line. And I was really grateful that it was just a testament to what we love about good taxidermists. And Wayne, I know you have your, your guys over on your side of the, the world that, you know, just share that same ethos and that same passion. And it's, uh, it's inspiring, man, to, to work with it, guys like you. It is. It, and
0: it's a, always a great opportunity to like, he was so forthcoming with information because I, I flat out told him, I was
3: like, never done one. Yeah.
0: i like, is there any forms to stay away from? Cause if you pick the wrong form, I mean, uh, you, yeah. you just, it's, you're going to end up with the wrong look, you know? So there's, there's a lot of, a lot of forms out there that you just don't ever want to yeah. use. And a lot of times you have to use them at some point in your career to find out how bad they are. And so I was able to cut right to, one of the best forms that he recommended and then he had an alteration that he strongly recommended and we executed that and yeah we've done quite a few out ads now
2: (laughs) because of that one mount (laughs) you know it's so funny you guys are talking about that because my son sent me a photo of steve ranella with it it was one of those goat sheep ibex
1: yeah yeah.
2: and he's like uh i want to hunt one of these i want to kill one of these and i'm like Great. That, that's, when, when can we do it? I'm like, after you graduate. How's that? So he's like, okay, but I'm never going to hear the end of that, you know, because he had just watched that episode of Meat Eater. And, and he, he sent me a, a picture of Steve with that, that – are they goat sheep? I'm, I'm unfamiliar. Yeah they're, they're sheep, sheep. Right? Yeah, yeah, they're a sheep,
3: right? Yeah, they're sheep. Yeah. And they're not um, – an inexpensive hunt usually <laughs> yeah um and they're not easy hunts so i, told I like them we were going to go to New Zealand goes Zealand straight for, it. for the pinnacle the top of the matterhorn and says dad make it happen and yeah, this, yeah, is, yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: This, this is of course is going to be another podcast episode here in this story man we might you don't let him see the marco polo for sure for yeah. sure for sure no that, that, that's crazy but when you talk about taxidermis and the reason i brought those details and we have uh the forever locked moose uh two bulls fighting in combat that uh, one, a guy found in New Hampshire and we actually did an education thing with it and Mark Dufresne out of Maine did those bulls and put all that detail in it and I was around those bulls as they traveled around uh, New Hampshire and now they travel around the country uh, as an educational piece uh, talking about moose, moose habitat uh, and it's just uh, to see that because no one, uh, let's face it how many guys have seen bull moose fighting um, yeah. but this guy took that and, and just brought it together so everybody can experience that. And if you just sit there and look at the intense looks and uh, look at the white of the eye, look at, you know, everything, every little detail tells you what a massive conflict this was for these animals. And, uh, you know, these guys, they were forever locked. They locked antlers and they died they died in combat and was where they were found like that so and that's the story we tell about moose habitat we talk about you know moose in general and uh, we, we put that conservation thing out there so I, my hat is off to the taxidermists that do it well but it, it, you know flashbacks come John when you talk about it one of the biggest cases I had was a taxidermist and there was like six freezers and every time we opened up a freezer and thank God I was a sergeant because when they opened up some of the freezers they stunk to high heaven this guy grabbed everything yeah. every piece of roadkill he could and put it in his freezer, whether it was a songbird, whether it was a fox, whether it was a garawa you name it, he stuffed it in his freezer. And I just remember my guys hurling, you know, just like, oh, oh. And I'm like, oh I'm glad I don't have to inventory that freezer. Uh, yeah. when when they're nearly like, I get like ten feet from it and I'm like, okay, you guys could take care of that. You know, and they to this day they are they talk about that incident where we just got one thing after another after another after another. I can't even so so many charges and the reason we were there was because He had contracted with the U.S. Forest Service to do a full mount moose and never did. So he took their money and never produced. So we did a search warrant based on that, and we just got so... Much out of it, it was it was crazy. The stuff he had picked up and never got a tag for, never really cared. And the sign of the stuff he he had taxidermy, a guinea hen, you, you name it, whatever he felt like doing, he did. And the house was just bizarre. He he half created animals yeah. and and made them into something else. It was just the most one of the most bizarre search warrants I I had ever done. He's one of the most bizarre people I had to deal with. To be honest, with you. he was he was right? a good on a neat, neat level. He was friendly and everything. He was just very strange um so yeah and the Mondo <laughs> fumes yeah and the, <laughs> yeah. The, the the really
3: sad part about that is is you think about how pivotal and how influential taxidermists can be if they're using their powers for good or their powers for bad on just hunting and conservation in general yes. i think of the case wayne and i think he, i talked to you about this a little bit but i don't know if we've shared it on the show and john i don't even know if we talked about this but Myself and, you know, Mark Insdall, yep, my good partner, yep. who's a cannabis captain um, still in California with the Cannabis Enforcement Program, not far from retirement as well. Um, Mark and I were working um, a taxidermist in the Silicon Valley, I will not mention a name, and it was just a chronic repeat thing. Nicest guy in the world but would tell you, I'm never going to do this again, Lieutenant. I really don't want to lose my, you know, hunting license for life from your commission. I'm like, man, I just want this to work for you. Just reform, please. You know, you seem like such a nice guy. Um, and then it was hunting doves over bait, hunting over bait. Um, it was taxidermy racks that were not documented and going with other animals. You know, it was just, it was a hot mess. Anytime we went into is very, unorganized studio oh, nothing like your place <laughs> um but the the straw that broke the camel's back is we got onto a case and you guys will appreciate this where there was a giant four-point black buck moving profit size that the antlers were brought in by a client that was this buck was killed in like 1942 and it was an old mount sitting in a barn and it was dilapidated and it was trashed and that antler set was brought into this taxidermist to recreate, put a fresh cape on it, again, for the memory. The big rack ended up lost in translation. Oh, yeah. And the owner, who's a good friend on a good ranch in the Silicon Valley backcountry, said, Dude, I can't get this, this rack back. I have no idea what happened to it. Lo and behold, we start finding a four-point black buck that's been mounted. that's going around the big buck contest tour. <laughs> all over Silicon Valley and the guy that's got this big buck is winning gun safes and ATVs and electric bikes and rifles and he's winning yeah. thousands of dollars of swag and it's their rack on a fork horn head with doctored up Frankenstein eyes and all this kind of stuff and it led back to guess who my chronic poacher and I thought the lack of ethics yeah. and how dirty it makes hunters being confused with poachers, yep. taxidermist being considered slaughter criminal criminal yeah. not artist, yeah basically fraud executives, yep. yep. and i'm thinking about my relationship with you and oh, this yeah. is all going on when i'm in the we're doing this type of work together and i'm like that is crushing the sport wayne yeah you know that is absolutely put making somebody on the fence and wanting to hunt go that's what it's like these are the people i'm going to run with why do I want to start hunting man these yeah. guys are all killers they're all poachers you know and um anyway we we uh, solved that problem but there was no obviously no ethics and no you know no. uh you know no ethos there but they're all the the quality of work again was not there okay. even for to win I mean this this big buck was winning and it wasn't that good of a amount I mean I've been around enough good work to go oh man not only is he a fraud he's not a good taxidermist well there's no passion there right there's no joy there's no attention to detail right. for the art of it and what what I really like to instill upon our listeners today is now you guys know the difference if you haven't already you, or you're not in the hunting sports and you don't understand or haven't been exposed to the difference and why there are real good ones out there and that brings us to another topic it's really been interesting as I've gotten to know you throughout a couple of decades but in these last few years almost last five to seven You've seen a lot of um, increase in people wanting to buy mounts and wildlife art pieces, especially in mean, the predators yeah. that have never hunted, yep. that just appreciate the coyotes and the wolves and everything else. And you've kind of designed. Talk about your pillows and how those have just kind of blown up. It was a real shocker to me. when so, I mean, <laughs> We don't see this in any shops, right. but it's a niche that John's kind of pioneered for largely the non-hunting, um, you know, art fans across the the world. Really,
0: it was about. 18, 19 years ago now, we had a client come in and they wanted us to stuff a coyote. He's like, I don't want it on a form. I just want it floppy. And we thought that was absolutely the dumbest idea we had ever heard. It was like, (laughs) the anatomy of it's not going to be right. And the guy was like, No, I want it. I want it. I want it. So Dennis and I finally bit the bullet and did it. And then the guy stiffed us. (laughs) So then we have this floppy coyote laying around for months. And then uh when well, there's a it's called Hot August Nights. It's a car show that comes into town. Mm-hmm. And some people were just traveling around and they stopped by the studio and they saw the floppy coyote and they decided they wanted it to put in the front seat of their hot rod during the car show. <laughs> well then we had our hometown. Yeah right? <laughs> right so then people came up and I think we we sold probably another three or four of them at that time as we were like all right i guess this might actually be a thing and then one of those people that bought one they were affiliated with a company called the parody shops and they own storefronts in most of the major airports in the united states so they called us back and they're like we want two of them to put in dallas texas so we sent a couple to dallas and then that blew up we were shipping them all over the country to these airports and people will just walk by see it and it's kind of a odd spontaneous yeah. purchase i always Crazy. thought but they were really popular <laughs>
2: yeah
0: um even uh mike dylan from fox pro saw one and he pestered the people at the store he's like i don't want your coyote i want to know the guy that did that yeah and so we did one for mike Dillon at fox Pro. <laughs> right and that was like the first time they got a little more recognition um and by that point we'd done hundreds of them. So we were starting to refine it down. So we always had a a pretty good following for these coyote pillows is what we just call them because they're basically a pillow. Mm -hmm. It's a traditional head, but the rest of it is just a free form batting. And we had people, other taxidermists that had seen them and clients of theirs had seen them and they'd call and try to get the you know secret recipe on how to make these things from us. And I know a couple of taxidermists actually bought them to tear them apart to figure out what we were doing. (laughs) <laughs> so and I was like, hey, if you're that dedicated, you bet. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> so we uh had been doing them for years. And then this May, I believe it was May, uh Clay Newcomb and Steve Ranella had been bear hunting in just out of Missoula, Montana, a couple hundred miles from us. And uh Steve harvested a bear and Clay wanted me to do the bear mount for Steve, do a rug. And so Clay drove it over, and Steve headed back to Bozeman. He had some podcasts he had to take care of, and uh, we were doing a FaceTime call with Steve in the shop. Once Clay got here, and we were going over some options for a uh, uh, one of our custom closed mouth rugs. And I had a coyote pillow sitting on the bench, and right at the end of the conversation, Steve's like, "Hey Clay, before you leave." find out what's up with the coyote staring at us in the background <laughs> so I he's like yeah what is that thing and I was like it's a coyote pillow so he's <laughs> like hold on a second and he gets his phone out and he's just taking a little short video of it and uh I thought it was just something he was going to send to Steve well we did a video of it yeah. and um, I called it squishy which I would I would have actually chosen a better word if I'd have known I think it got 2.2 2 million views on TikTok in like yeah. a week. It blew up. Yeah. It was so I was like, sleep. and the only thing I could see when I saw the video was like, squishy, really? I used yeah. squishy. <laughs> 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 all my descriptive words. Like, it
2: but, could have been squishy. all kinds of stuff, but squishy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then uh, it, it just went viral on TikTok. So then the meteor guys put it on their Facebook page yeah. and it got like 4,000 shares in a couple of days on that. Wow. So then they put it on Instagram and then we actually had 800 emails in two days. We had wow. to hire a secretary. We couldn't even, yeah. couldn't even do anything in the shop besides answer the phone. So and your and she time it out. She didn't quit. She's still with us. That yeah. was good. So I was awesome. like yeah. thrown right into the fire and she, she did it. You got to get with my pillow um, guy. <laughs> 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 so then we, uh, Actually, we're uh, skinning some foxes out that were just shipped in last Monday. Yeah. Nice, right now. So people are sending us stuff from all over the country for the pillow mounts.
2: And the current price of fur, man, wow! You can make a lot of pillows and be be good. I just heard beaver a uh, beaver blankets 2 dollars and fifty cent the casters worth more. It's just uh, yeah, it just makes my head shake. Um, a good renewable resource, and we're dropping it to that level. It's too bad, but right. yeah. Yeah. I'm always kinda of torn on the fur
0: prices because if the fur prices are low, you can like, make pillows. there's not as many shenanigans out, like especially bobcats, oh, true. people aren't poaching yeah. and popping them and yeah. throwing them in the freezer. And so it seems to be a little easier on the animals, but when the fur prices get really high, man, yeah. This way stuff. you
2: can make yeah. it an affordable pillow too, at good fur mm-hmm. prices too. <laughs> So there's always ups and downs to everything. Hey, John, can you tell us guys, cause every now and then you hear that noise in the back. You're a working taxidermy shop. Guys are scraping. I'm assuming it sounded like a scraping noise running water. So you're, there's people around you working. I always like listeners to know what's going on around them. Cause I like, what's that noise? What's that noise? And that's what's going on. Isn't it? I, I, I'm assuming.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yes. I've yeah. been working on a lot of bears the last couple of weeks. A lot the of scraping guys are downstairs working on a life-size bear right now. Mm. Just got another one put on the form yesterday. Um, a lot of rugs we're running through right now and how big a, a of bear, shop
2: are you because a lot of bears yeah
0: my uh
3: you know talking about bears and and i had never had a bear mounted you know and it took three four years to harvest a really nice black bear wing in california and um shortly after the first shooting incident we had when uh kyle was off and recovering um from the shooting incident no in five mm-hmm. um he had during recovery, he had had the opportunity to go out and hunt with one of our really premier houndsmen. And this is when bear hunting was still legal to hunt with dogs. Dan um, Propes, I gotta give him a major shout out. John knows his story because I shared this story with John early on. Houndsmen like taxidermists, when you find a great one, they are a godsend. And Van was one of those guys that was uber ethical, uber legal, had some of the best dogs, could go forever. And he would tree problem public safety mountain for our agency that we either had to dispatch or remove. Um, Problem black bears, because in California, our bears don't hibernate, so they get really, really big. And the bear I ended up harvesting after three seasons of hunting the band. And Kyle ended up harvesting a really nice monster, almost a 400-pounder. With the whole dog process of seeing it done right with the legal and ethical pounds at it,
2: knowing it's that something else it, it, it's just yeah, a, it it's, some, else. it's such
3: a treat yeah man, to see yeah. it work right um and the bear we ended up harvesting on year three was just under seven feet mm-hmm. wow and john at the time yeah i mean for a black bear
2: yeah uh, oyster,
3: had a beautiful hide very little with any rubbish issues, yeah. and of course i knew where i was bringing it and john was excited i'm you know texting him pictures from california and something john does premier work on that was kind of your forte for the longest time. It still, is. It still is. Still yeah. is. This is bear rugs. Yeah. Um, when you see the quality of these bear rugs, how thick they are, the detail in the head and the mouth, and everything that he's talked about before, um, I know it certainly got my attention. It's one of the most beautiful pieces I have in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, that seven footer stretched out with almost three, four inches of foam flat, you know, foam flex, and mm-hmm. great head detail, and then clay clay really yeah. into it and then of course Stephen ramill our friend from Mediator, um has john doing all of that and now you're doing you're doing uh janice's you're doing yanni's bighorn sheep now right
0: yep we got yanni's bighorn uh yanni called me last friday he just harvested nice. a bobcat we'll be doing Yep, saw um, that when he got with the dogs uh-huh. just finished steve's bear rug and got it back to him and bozeman nice. just finished clay's we'll be taking that back down there in a couple of weeks um we got couple of other cast members, mountain goats for uh, shoulder mounts after we posted those two shoulder mounts yeah. on, uh, Instagram, they called us up right away. So awesome. we got those and yeah, the bear rugs, uh, I, have always just been fascinated with bears and I'm actually not even a big bear hunter. I've just always thought they're just a neat yeah. animal just to see they're, they're all over here. So you, you see them all the time. I've always just been really impressed by it. just the way they move around. And yeah, it's not they're doing bear so stuff, cool. you know? Yeah, it's a neat animal. And so. I always enjoyed bears. Dennis was a very avid bear hunter. Um, and a lot of guys really don't appreciate a rug, like a lot of artists that's remedial work, you know, most of them don't actually do the rugs in house. They'll mount the head and send it off and have it stretched and belted and back and stuff. Um, and we always did it all in house. We didn't want to, it wasn't like total control issue, but we knew if we had it through the whole process, we could get the result yeah. we were looking for. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that just has grown now. they're, they're uh, Like our rugs, I wouldn't say are better than other guys. You know, if you're using the right heads and the right eyes and the ears and stretch them properly and a good tan, you're going to end up with a good product. Ours are just different. And it's been really well received. Um, with the big pads, even like a a fall bear, early fall bear, um, you can still get that full, yeah. f- full look to it with the padding that we use in them. Um, the dyes have evolved, you get a better neutral color on the skins where you don't see the skin showing through the hair and then closed mouth.
3: Yeah,
0: I really like a closed mouth and, uh, there's just no, what I, what I thought was a good looking closed mouth rug shell that you could buy. Um, there were some yeah. really good life-size bear forms that had great heads on them. And I've always stuck to one particular line of bear heads for most of my, my bear work. And so I just started using that head and making my own rug shells out of it. And, uh, that's been really, really well received this year. We have more closed mouth rugs to do than we've ever had to do before. Yeah, man, the, uh,
3: the life authenticity is just incredible. And, uh, one thing I gotta mention, Wayne, that you'll appreciate, and I don't know that we've shared this story and not all of our listeners have heard it, but that bear rug, That John did for me when we were working an undercover case on a guy that was buying illegal wildlife (laughs) parts in California when you're filming, I think, season two of Wild Justice for National Geographic. We get onto this guy that wants deer heads and antelope and he wants bear he wants bear rugs, bear heads, whatever. Well, in California, bear parts sales are a felony because <laughs> we have, you know, all the uh, you know, international Asian groups that were coming over and harvesting them through guides for gallbladders. For double, yeah. You know, at thirty, forty thousand dollars a gallbladder. So um, we set up an undercover bear rug sale. He really wanted this bear. I tried to talk the guy out of it to make sure it wasn't an entrapment issue, but yep. he really wanted that bear was as a nice well bear. as the, the other, <laughs> nice bear, I'm like, wow. Seven clear from California. I want it. So we had to take that bear off the wall when I was still in California and we had to very carefully use that bear for the case. And you can imagine how wound up and, I would, and I'm sitting back, right. As the team leader watching this thing from a covert vehicle or takedown units. And I got two officers on my squad going to do the shop approach. Right. And the bear bust. And I told them, I said, as soon as there's an exchange, I don't even want his door to close. You go and you get that rug guys and get that thing back quickly. And they're like, okay, we, we got this, LD. <laughs> we got this. And I was, uh, uh, the things you do for work. Right. You know, right. I said, just don't chip the head going in the wall. If he gets, <laughs> you know, get dirt speed, on the belt. If he gets aggressive with you, what's <laughs> going to happen to this thing, man? You guys are most important, of course, <laughs> officer safety, but please <laughs> save the road. <rug. laughs>
2: <laughs> and I got to say, no man, doubt. the
3: episode portrays it 100% accurately. It, they did a great job. It was uh. a quick buy bust, and we got into the warehouse the guy had up in the, um, actually in the San Francisco Bay area, Wayne, Oh man, did he have all kinds of other exotic species that weren't supposed to be there. And it led into a spiral, but it all started with that crazy rug. And one last thing I got to say about that is it was two or three years later that our Caltip Lieutenant, you know, our one 800 turn in a poacher line that we all have in all of our States in California called me up and said, Hey, um, I got to send you a really funny email because I have a gentleman that just, um, called me and said i just saw wild justice and i found the bear rug that somebody stole from me that's the rug and lieutenant norris used it and i want it back (laughs) and she said and she knew exactly what bear rug had been used for this case because it was kind of a pride piece. (laughs) i said yeah um I'm going to have to have a conversation with this gentleman because they could be, look real, man, it was funny. And really convincing him that it was my own rug that I had harvested and had a good friend attacks <laughs> him. He was just, no, it must, you must be mistaken, Lieutenant. I, I swear with the blaze patch and the way the eyes are, I said, yeah. sir, um, I'm getting a little older and I forget a lot of stuff, but I, I don't forget that hunt. And I definitely don't forget the memory of what we use that rug for. Right. And I can I I can, I can swear to you right now, man, and anything you want me to, to attest to, it's mine. I'm so sorry. Let's keep looking for yours. And uh he was good with that. But it was so funny how adamant this gentleman was from watching that TV show and seeing <laughs> that rug. Oh man, that's gotta be mine. It was pretty good.
0: That that rug's been through a lot. They don't have the, the fire.
3: Yeah, yeah. 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 We uh and, and again another one in in building uh the new house up here um through the retirement phase uh before settling up here uh in our town full time. There was a little solvent fire that started when the house was being framed and and done inside the first thing we had put up in the house was all of my mounts because they're up on a vaulted ceiling and they had to go in before the floors did so there was no damage but there was some smoke throughout the house especially in the upper reaches I was in California working med operations and hearing these horror stories from uh, my uncles uh, leading the build charge and I was freaking out and my Mm. first call was <laughs> yeah. to john we're like i not oh, dude happened. i don't know what to do <laughs> all those mounts your life-size mountain goat all the deer man uh all these other animals and you know the bear rug the stuff upstairs um and john was kind enough to go over with my uncles and go through it and um there was some smoke was, damage some, but you were able to um, more like soot soot yeah, yeah. we're able to clean i was able, it able to sanitize everything and um everything was fine uh we were so so fortunate and blessed that All of those those 26 or 27 heads, you know, throughout the structure were pristine again. The house was pristine. There was no smoke damage. We were very, very lucky. But you can imagine, Wayne, how I felt. And I was literally getting the call, Uh. like, the day of a med operation where we had taken down cartel gunmen and we were eradicating a, uh, you know, a, a marijuana grow site. And now it's safe and I've right. got cell coverage and I'm making calls to administration and I'm getting these horror story calls from my <laughs> uncles on my personal phone. and I'm going, what is happening? Uh, did we lose the house that's not even built yet? And <laughs> yeah. first thing I thought of was, Oh my gosh, those conservation memories, because you can replace so many heirlooms,
0: For, but
1: you yeah. can't so,
3: replace I was- those. And you know what? There's no mon- there's no monetary value on the planet that are worth what those mean to me and my family. Because we literally have almost 20 years now of memories, oh, largely yeah. that you've done. Yep. Um, outside of the Africa stuff yep. I have had done before you know yep. I knew you. Um it was heartbreaking, Wayne. Absolutely heartbreaking, because those those will always warm your day up if you're having a, a stressful day and you walk in and you know this, brother. You go in and you see your son's first deer that mm. you have on the wall, maybe in your office or in the front room and nothing's that bad anymore. You know, yeah, that's yeah. that snapshot in time that is so priceless and such a blessing. And I have so many of those mm. from all over the globe that Absolutely. I'm so blessed to yep. have shared those stories. If we haven't been on hunts together, um, at least John's got to experience them through the work he's done, yeah. seeing him at the house. Um, and I was, I was, I cannot tell you how stressed and, and just depressed and heartbroken I was and yeah. telling my teammates, I can't talk about it right now. Let's just get out of the woods, <laughs> finish this mission, and I need to get my butt back home. I, <laughs> you know? I just sent really you, John. Uh, we, were, we were
2: very fortunate. It's funny very you fortunate. mentioned those memories because I just sent you, guy on your phone, I sent you a picture of Andrew with his first bear that was shot over dogs. And the taxidermy, and it sits a full mount. Uh, the kid, he, he does strike for the top, I will say that. Um, you know, he wants a full mount bear to start. That's um, awesome. This yeah. is awesome, guys. Yeah. We're looking at it right there. <laughs> so, there it that, is. That's going to be another podcast because I went with Kelly Irwin on that hunt, and we will definitely uh, talk about that with her. Um, but, yeah, that, that's Andrew. Very happy heck of a now, hunt congratulations um, to your
3: son brother we we need to we need to talk to kelly that, that's
0: yeah a great story.
2: no no and kelly's a great individual a hounds woman, heart to heart so breeder the whole nine yards so she'll she'll be a good interview down the road for sure let's do it yes but no That that's a great sorry and taxidermy is exactly that it's the memories um yeah, we always have those memories and our, our deer that we harvest, big, small, we can we can pull those right out because the, it's, it's that adrenaline run, it's that harvesting, it's the eating after. I mean, we put it all together. I mean, uh, that's what Steve Renella does well. He puts it all together, yeah. the whole thing, and then produces it, it, it so everybody can understand it. Um, so I, I, think that's, that's epic. It's what we've all been doing, but now we're needing to communicate that more. And you're communicating it, John, uh, by doing that artistic stuff. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, my son appreciates it. Uh, so, uh, thank you. And I know, I know John does. I mean, I mean, when you tell his stories, man, he, he's right there. He's like, Oh my goodness, you know, it's tearing his heart out. <laughs>
3: Well, you know, the, the thing about it is, is, you know, um, having working with Steve, you know, through Meteor and all the good stuff those guys are doing. You're right, Wayne. You said it best. And John and I know, and having been on Steven's podcast and had these conversations outside of the Hidden War story. Um, one of the things I told him and, and Janice, uh, and Yanni during, uh, you know, before and after that podcast was, Hey guys, just thanks for what you do for conservation. Mm-hmm. You're not just showing. You're not just a cookie cutter hunting show where you get the kill shot. Everybody's proud. You're celebrating on that. Um, and you know, a lot of us in in whatever TV outreach we're doing on conservation, we do it with the Green Line film series. We go through the cooking. We did it without ad which people say is not a really edible good news. And we tenderized it and we cooked it and in the pilot film. You know, we, we highlighted eating it and showed how good it could be. Um, that was largely from pushing what, what Stephen and Yanni and that great crew of Meteor are doing. But the thing we're still not seeing, and it's so good that Stephen now and the Meteor crew are using you and your good work toward the mounts, is show the mount afterwards and show what a memory it can be and that it's not just a trophy. Yes. You know what I mean? And that's what you're going to start seeing in. Future fingering line films that we're putting together, you're going to see John highlighted when we bring that high him. and we talk about sharing that story of the mount and why it's going to be an important mount and why it's not a brag trophy. Yep. It's a conservation memory that we honor, and it's also honoring and thanking and appreciating the animal' sacrifice of us being able to hunt that animal and provide for our families. Just like our meat eater buddies do, so perfectly on their show. Yeah, well um, said. And I think that the taxidermy wildlife artist side, yeah. we really need to highlight. It's so cool to have you on the show today, John, because this is our first taxidermist we've ever talked to yeah. on the show, and you just don't, you know, I see uh, uh, see you guys on on podcasts too. Much. No, I see more
0: yet. I've I've never really seen anybody having taxidermists on there, so it's kind of a it was a unique opportunity. It's been yeah. a lot of fun.
2: That's no, it's great. No, I've I've enjoyed it. Uh, just just talking to you, it's it's been a, a good experience for me. And you, you talk about all the things that I've experienced, whether it's with my son or other individuals. Um, you know, kids from hunt of a lifetime. Uh, just yeah, you 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 uh, encase that memory for them for the rest of their lives. Whether it's an old man, a young man, a new guy, whether it's uh, the meat eater himself, you know, it's let, let's face it, you encase it and you preserve it for the rest of our lives outside our head.
3: <laughs> yeah. And, and certainly getting us more into the mainstreamist conservationist in the, the non consumptive world yes. is always a win. Mm. Um, and again, we'll go back to what Steven and Johnny are doing with meat eater. Um, that is a mainstream show now for people that don't hunt. It's in its yes. what, 10th season on Netflix yep. and anything we can do to get into the non-hunting community, I think, and seeing wildlife art, like your wolf and, uh, coyote pillows yep. and fox mm. pillows that people are buying to appreciate that have been harvested legally. And they've enhanced that species in yeah. the wild. And I did design. see that pillow but too. It's, I but, know, when, it. when it's that non-consumptive <laughs> user, it's suddenly intrigued right then i think we've really really made head you know we made headway we made inroads we just had a great lifestyle a Mm
0: -hmm. sale that went through on monday um some people they don't hunt but they've seen us pop up there they heard us on steve mentioned us on a podcast after he uh, got his bear rug back and they were listening to the meteor podcast and heard about us and looked into us yeah. and uh they're, they want a life-size mountain lion taking down a life-size white tail Ooh. on a wall mount and we'll be shipping that to texas and they just awesome. they don't hunt they just wanted a, a wanted beautiful piece of, really
3: happens in yeah, the wild yeah. mm. yep Yep. And, so and and appreciate that yep. mother nature at her finest the most brutal but the most beautiful at the same time yeah yeah mm.
0: yeah so we've, we've seen a big raise in just decor sales yeah not not personal trophy pieces just people right Wanting a big moose or an elk to hang over a fireplace, you know, just a, a lot of random stuff, yeah. a, lot, a lot of bear rugs um, that they just appreciate the beauty of the animals. So, and cool. they just want that in their home. You yeah, know, that's help.
3: cool. And, and by the way, as far as podcasts go, Stephen brother, if you're listening, I know you love this guy, have him on your podcast. <laughs> I know I'm preaching the choir, but let's get John Hayes, Hayes Taxidermy Studio on the meat eater podcast. Yeah, that would be epic.
2: Yeah. It's, it's just a matter of time. Resist. I'm glad we did it first. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and the mounts, they're really, you know, especially like a deer or an elk or any antlered horn. Like my daughter knows the story of my great grandfather's deer. I've mounted that deer three times yeah. now. Mm. I didn't have to, but every time I learned something <laughs> new, I'm like, wow, ah, I got, I got to change that thing. So, yeah. So my dad's told the story to me and my daughter. And I mean, awesome. Yeah. And it's, what is the thing? 70 years old now? Seven years old. Yeah. It, wow. it just keeps uh, warming generations yep. and uh, getting,
3: better, getting <laughs> yeah. better as you get better. Yeah.
0: Just take care of the antlers and you it's personal. Keep redoing them for yeah. indefinite amount of time.
2: Yeah. It's personal. That's why you did it three times. It's personal. Mm -hmm. Just like my grandfather's 30-odd-six. You know, every time I kill something with it, that's the highlight, really. I put that gun in there, and it's going to be passed on, and hopefully Andrew will do the same and uh so <laughs> it's pretty awesome no well
3: great great conversation today and mm-hmm. uh, wayne i'm yeah. glad you were able to take a break from all the great outreach you're doing at the great uh great american Outdoor it's show been refreshing there. And, john very on john we're <laughs> <Boulder> up here <laughs> northwest in a uh, very warm fine snow and, and get ready to get on the road ourselves and john thanks so much man thank you i appreciate uh, it very much pleasure. yeah
2: thanks for joining us john